Hello, and welcome to Once More With Feelings, a podcast where we talk about the wicked and divine and our feelings. I'm Christina. And I'm Kate. And today, we're doing the Christmas special. Woo! Woo! Eric, do me a favor and put, like, jingle bells in here or something. I don't know. <laughs> Get some non-copyrighted christmas E sounds. Yep. Or, like, I don't know. It could also just be you telling us to, like, screw off. That's fine, too. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it could be a little clip of Eric being like, no. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. They say this is the Christmas special. There's not actually a whole lot of Christmas in it. It's kind of not really holiday themed in any way. No, it was their gift in giving us some like fluffy stories while also hiding some heartache in there at the same time. I mean, I guess I just feel like there's at least three sex scenes in this comic. Yeah, there is. So, like, I don't know. Some more graphic than others. There's dicks. Yeah, full-on dicks. There's, like, two of them. We get to see Ball's hips before he got that Inanna tattoo. Oh, man. Yeah, I had a friend who reviews comics for a website, and so she got this early and was reading this in the break room of her day job before she realized there were dicks. Dicks. Yep. Penises. Penises. All the penises. Or at least several of them. I mean, do we want to just kick it off? Because the dicks are pretty quick. Yeah. I remember reading this, like, in the store where I got it. Because, like, I got it, and then I was just standing there in the store, like, while some friends were chatting, and I just read it, and I'm like, oh, there's penises. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even wrap this one either. It was just sitting out. It was sitting out. It's got, like, a sweater on the cover. It's so innocuous. Yep. Did they ever make that sweater into, like, an actual sweater? Not that I'm aware of, but, like, that's on my list of things to just do. Yeah. So we get like a little holiday letter from Jamie and Kieran at the beginning of this, basically saying, you guys didn't get to see a lot of the stuff in the first six months of the recurrence. So here we are going about, let's make amends and you get to see a lot of getting it on. Like they even admit this is a lot of fan service. It's all about banging. Yep. All about banging. We also have a bunch of guest artists who are joining us for this issue. Yep. We have Chris Anka, Jen Bartel, Emma Vicente. Ah! Kate loves Jen Bartel, like, an almost worrisome amount. I also love Chris Anka. Chris Anka's also, like, mmm. Yeah, I know, but, like, I'm also deeply concerned about how much you like Jen Bartel, is what I'm saying. I mean, we all have things. Emma Vicelli. China Klugston or Klugston Flores. Carla Speed McNeil. Do you think, like... Is that a double last name or is her middle name Speed? I really hope her parents made her middle name Speed. Speed is my middle name. That'd be great. And then uh, Rachel Stott. Also Tamara Bonvillain and Matt Wilson split the colors. And Tamara, I'm pretty sure she was one of the people working on Border Town, which recently got canceled for some awful reasons. And she actually excused herself along with the artist. I feel like I need a different podcast to talk about comics drama. But yeah, Tamara's a good person. We're going to make a podcast where we talk about comics drama. There's so much comics drama, guys. You have no idea. In the like parallel universe where I have free time, I'd love to do that. <laughs> anyway, getting into the comic. We begin in December of 2013. November of 2013. What did I say? December? I'm having a stroke. Don't worry about it. We see Valhalla being built. Mm -hmm. And Ball's just standing on top of this building under construction, being broody, generally. I mean, ball. Ball. And then along comes a sparkly boy. 
Inanna descends from the heavens just being like, hey, I've seen you being emo a lot. Do you want to talk about it? And then Ball just says something more emo, like, life's hard, you have to be harder. And it's just kind of like said apropos of nothing. And it's like, all right, geez. And Inanna's just kind of like, hey, can you stop being depressed? Like, don't do that. Yeah. Granted, Inanna doesn't know at this point that Ball is killing children. Yep. No, no one is aware. None of them are aware about the child murder, which has started by this point. This would have been right about when he's probably building that secret room. Well, I mean, yeah, Valhalla's under construction. You got to get the secret room in there somehow. Yep. On the next page, we go to Inanna basically turning on the flirt. You're sweet. And I'm willing to bet you can be a lot harder. And he kind of goes away and sparkles with a Cheshire cat grin left behind. I groaned when I read that. I was like, oh, man, like that is the worst pickup line. Except with Inanna, it works. I think it only works because he disappears into a cloud of sparkles. Yeah, like he gives bedroom eyes and then disappears into a cloud of sparkles, which apparently turns ball on. That's his thing. Listen. Yeah, like his face afterwards is like, hmm. Considering. Yep. And then we flash over to somewhere else. It's just a nondescript building. Where they're just making out, you know? Yep. Just making out. I think, from what I can tell, Anana is wearing a pretty intense crop top. Yeah, it looks like that. The crop top is very Chris Anka. Like, being real, it's very Chris Anka. Does Chris Anka just put a lot of people in crop tops? Have you read Runaways? That's true. Now that you mention it, I am aware of this now, yes. He's also the one who worked with Chip Zdarsky on Star-Lord and required Chip to put Star-Lord shirtless in every issue at least once. Listen, you got it at least once. Mm -hmm. Chris Pratt didn't carve those abs out of his beer belly for nothing. (laughs) So Inanna's basically being flirty. I mean, they're already making out, but Inanna's just kind of like, it's about time. I thought you were going to be like afraid of, you know, dicks. And Ball is just kind of like, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, mostly he just says he's not afraid of who he is, which is like sort of a lie. It's a little bit, but I think it's more specifically with his sexuality. I mean, that too. I feel like Ball's got a lot of issues and he's just a lot of bravado. I feel like he's trying not to be afraid of who he is. I know, but I feel like with Inanna, he can stop being a god for a minute while also still reveling in the power of being a god. It's a release valve for the pressure he's in. I mean, I'm mostly talking about I think that he is, in fact, afraid of the gay thing. He's just making himself do it anyway so that he stops being afraid of the gay thing. I mean, yes, that too. That's what I was explicitly referring to. Sorry, I misunderstood. I was still thinking about child murder. (laughs) I mean, there's that also. Yeah, but speaking from someone with experience about that, you are kind of scared of it until you just jump in and figure things out. So anywho... Inanna basically says that he has come to a point where he's just kind of like doesn't care about that kind of thing. Inanna has abandoned all those kind of hangups now that he's become a god. It's like, why would I be afraid of like me? And Ball is just like, you know, there's another reason why I go up to the top of that building than to brood. Most of it's brooding. Most of it's brooding. Also, I love Inanna's makeup here. Yeah, it's some intense eyeliner. Yeah, that's some good makeup and like playing with the eyeliner dots. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. We'll also mention Inanna is editor Eric's his favorite. I believe Inanna's his favorite. I mean, I feel like he stops trying to have favorites because they kept dying. I don't know who his favorite is anymore, but he does cosplay Inanna or he has in the past. 
Yes. Granted, I cosplay Amaterasu, and she is definitely not my favorite. Who is your favorite? My favorite, honestly, is probably Laura. Laura is very good. Yeah, I tend to relate really close to the narrators of stories, and Laura is no exception. Fair. That's fair. And apparently Ball loves the top of Valhalla because the view is incredible. I want to know what park did they take over to get this spot? I'm guessing they're near London. Do we know where Valhalla is? I mean, it's got to be close-ish, I imagine. I don't know. Maybe they have real good transport. I mean, there's like the river there. Yeah. So I don't know. And then we go to Inanna just going for it. And we have just a little bit of censorship where Inanna's completely naked with just something hanging over his arm to cover up the crotch, the peen. And Paul looks over and he's blushing a little bit. And he admits, I've never done this with a guy before. I'm kind of confused as to like, why are you trying to bother censoring it here when you just go basically full frontal, literally like the next page? It's full side? I don't know. Is this a warning? Maybe. Is this like, oh, be prepared because there's going to be dicks? Is this like our false sense of security? But not really. The way the page turn is, it's not even hidden in the page turn. Like, it's on the spread. It's just literally, you go to the next page and Inanna, naked, is coming up to Ball and being like, hey, you should also be naked. But also, don't worry about the gay thing. Just let it happen. It's not a big deal. And then there's dicks. Yep. And Inanna honestly doesn't care. He's like, you know, I don't really care about you never having been with a boy. I don't care about what you want to call your orientation or what you want to call this. I just want to do it. And then they do it. They bang. They have sex on the roof of Valhalla. Yep. And it's real sweet. Like, Ball, honestly, like, you see him falling hard in these scenes. Chris did a real good job of conveying that with the face acting. Like, if he's not falling, he's at very much, like, heavily in lust. And then, yep, peeing and banging. And so, on the next page, it's the afterglow, and Paul's just amazed. And like, oh, wow, this is great. And Nana's saying, ah, it's too hot. I'm too hot. To which Paul makes the obvious, come on, pun, of you are. This is just full of the most obvious flirting hit lines like is this like how real people do flirt is the question is this like a representative of like real human beings is my question in my experience not usually like you'll do these as like knowingly like this is so bad it's gonna make you laugh kind of thing okay okay yeah but then again most human beings click their fingers and call a lightning storm to call down rain to cool off their partner you're not wrong after they just had sex in a construction site. I feel like if they weren't gods, they would get pneumonia. Like, this is how you get pneumonia. <laughs> and Anana says, thank you. And that's where we leave it on with wet bodies on a roof cuddling with Ball's penis hanging out there. And we're going to go from some gay sex to some different gay sex. Yep. But this time, it's a month later and there is no... Wait, this means Ball and Nana only had like one good month. Yeah. Jesus, Ball, you just went hard and fast for that, didn't you? Yeah, I know, right? Like, he got real into it. Jeez. Oh, boy. Okay. But we hard cut to some post-coital and clearly post-party shenanigans Mm -hmm. in some sort of penthouse area where we have Lucifer and Sakmet 
Lying on a table, I guess. This is definitely like a party room. I don't know what other purpose this place would have. Yeah. It's just wall to floor ceilings and then tables and couches. And it's covered in takeout and booze bottles and discarded clothing. Well, it reminds me a little bit of the room where we see on issue one where Amaterasu is getting interviewed. It's a little similar. Yeah, it looks very similar. I'm wondering if this is a place where the gods regularly rent out for their use in London. And clearly, this time the use was for them to bang on a table. Yep. Sokmet's just waking up. She's just sprawled, uncaring. Lucifer is checking her phone after this event. She's pretty self-congratulatory. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, oh, well done us. There was a premiere, which makes me wonder if it was the same premiere that we saw, you know, the video games where we saw Tara being questioned by the paparazzi. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. It's possible. I feel like it might have been the same premiere. We'll have to see if it was December 2013 or not. I don't have it on me. I don't know what other premiere they go to. But clear the paparazzi shots from the premiere all over the place. And... Lucifer is looking at her Instagram and she's kind of like surprised at what she sees because apparently they took shots of themselves mid-coitus. Yep. Which makes me wonder like just how wasted were you guys? Dang. Very, very wasted. We're talking about Sakmet and Lucifer in her like prime party days. It's true. Again, Sakmet's not really caring. She says she values her privacy. I'll kill them all. Yeah, she'll just kill whoever looks at these photos, I guess. Yep. And on the bad side, we are walking terribly close to the terms and conditions of Instagram. On the good side, we got a whole bunch of likes and we look excellent. Like, that's Lucifer's worries. Those are the breakdown of, like, hierarchy. Yeah. I like Sokmet's pose here. Lucifer's, like, getting up, but Sokmet still has, like, her hand on Lucifer's waist and, like, one leg wrapped around her leg. Like, no. You're warm. Yeah, very possessive. Very much like, no, you're not getting up yet. And this is like, I wonder if we can complain about privacy, given where we were. I mean, if only the red carpet wasn't so temptingly plush, which means they banged on the red carpet of a premiere. Or at least like some really heavy petting on the red carpet of that premiere where they were probably really drunk. Yep. And Lucifer is like, you're so wicked. It shouldn't have taken us this long. And it looks like they're on their way to having more red carpet fun on a table covered in cigarettes and booze. That feels just like it would be uncomfortable. They slept there. It looks like they slept there. Did they sleep or pass out there? I don't know, but it still doesn't feel comfortable. There's couches. Yeah, that's true. And they are interrupted by a very ball panel of a foot slamming through the door. Ball interruptus. Yep. Where ball literally busts in and is just kind of like, hey, why did you sleep with Anana? How dare you? Also, you're sleeping with Sokmet now? How dare you? Basically trying to call out Lucifer for sleeping with everyone. Yep. Also, this one panel reminds me a lot of objection from the Phoenix, right? Yeah, no, literally I look at it and I see objection. I agree with you. And Ball is furious. He's also wearing a very nice floral suit. Yeah. He's wearing like a full-on suit. I'm like, where were you just coming from? Anyway, Lucifer is very nonchalant in her response. Basically, she's saying like, oh, Ball made you so happy. I had to see you if he was like- Anana made you so happy. Anana made you so happy. Thank you. That like, I had to see what all the fuss was about is sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And Ball basically goes up. It's like, Anana didn't know better. You did. That's why you did it. Like calling her out as a bad person. And Lucifer's like, yeah, like correct. But not really seeming to care. Yeah. She also bursts into flame when Ball touches her. 
Yeah, which I'm guessing is her power since Ball's still making everyone think his is lightning. Right. But he's probably also not affected by her flame because he is, yeah, in reality, a fire god. Pretty much. And despite her, like, bursting into flame, she confronts Ball being like, hey, you know, if we got into a fight, that would probably make Ananki mad, wouldn't it? Because hmm, Ball plays by the rules. Yeah, Ball just, like, can't make Ananki mad, I guess. Yeah. And... The table lights on fire and Lucifer is lighting her cigarette with that fire. This is the most Lucifer set of panels is just like she gets thrown onto a table. Table is now burning. She turns and lights a cigarette in the table fire. Yep. And Sakmet at this time was like, nope, slunk away and she is now dressed. And Lucifer's like, oh, hey, where are you going? And apparently Sakmet doesn't like complications. This won't happen again. You're a bad person. So which is first like, you're calling me a bad person? Yeah, I kind of agree with her on that point. I'm like, wait, what? I'm sorry. You're going to grow up to eat people and you're calling me a bad person? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and the fire causes the sprinklers to go off and Lucy no longer has a lit cigarette and is just saying bastards and is left there in her like sexy sporty underwear with her eyeliner like running. It's pretty great. We see one other time Lucifer busts out of prison and the sprinklers are set off. The water doesn't even touch her. Do you think it's like after this, she was like, I got to find a way to fix that. Yeah, I can see that. I got to find a way for my makeup not to run. You'll know this more about me. Is her black stripe on the opposite side that it usually is? It kind of seems that way. Yes, I'm pretty sure Lucifer's black stripe is usually on her left side. And in this instance, it's on her right, which makes me wonder if the art was flipped after the fact. Or if maybe the black stripe moves, or if this was just a continuity error. I mean, that could be possible, because it's a bunch of different stories, like, stitched into one. Yeah. Also, it was a different artist, so it could be a continuity error. That's a thing. No, you're correct. Usually the black stripe is on the other side of her head. Cool. And so that's the end of the fan service with Lucy and Sokmet. It was a kind of very brief fan service. It wasn't much. It was mostly just confrontation. Yeah, and it was mostly just like, hey, Lucy and Sakma totally did it. This is why they totally stopped doing it. This is why they stopped. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue with the water theme, though. The sprinklers transition into a rainy highway on the 21st of December, the same month, where we have a very emo, upset-looking Cameron standing on the side of the road holding a sign that just says London. A smudged, soaked sign that says London. I also love this. Like, I love the blush they give Cameron. Yeah. Ah, it's good. To be honest, I wouldn't pick this dude up on the side of the road. He just looks like... Trouble. Yeah, basically. Yeah. The car pulls over and you hear some... Or we read there's some commotion going on in the car with whoever's driving. Basically, it's like the passenger is complaining there's no way he's getting in to the car. He's soaking wet. Mm -hmm. And then the driver's like, all right, well, he can sit in the front then. (laughs) (laughs) he's soaking wet we can't just leave him yeah and cameron gets into this car they ask well where are you headed and he's like off to a morgan concert and we see the driver of this car is none other than the future dionysus this took me a minute to recognize because he's not clean shaven and bald like we know dionysus but he does have that happy face pin that he keeps he does have the happy face pin also very distinctive eyebrows yep also I like the fact they have the garland up in the windshield. I know, right? It's a very festive car. (laughs) And 
we're going to. My name's Umar. So Umar is Dio's true name. And that's Trish and Linda in the back. And that makes sense that they're his two friends, if they're Trish and Linda, is probably like, you're not picking up that dude. No. Yeah. You don't pick up dudes. His two female friends are like, no? No, why would you do that? No, that's not... God damn it. Uh, <laughs> but he does it anyway. Yep. Zumar is a good boy. Yep. And so Cameron's like, I'm Cam. Thanks for the pickup. I thought I was going to drown out there. I'll learn. I should have got the train. Which I was like, wait, if you can afford the train, why are you hitchhiking in the rain? And occasionally a goth boy likes to stand in the rain, which is probably true. I mean, it's a look. I'll admit it's a look. It's a stupid look, but it's a look. This is the boy who, like, does vampire the masquerade in a cave. Again, yeah, it's a look, but, like, at what cost? Yep. I was like, occasionally like to be stupid. Which Cameron is like, yeah, that's what I said. And this sets up a lot of Cameron's personality. <laughs> yep. Thanks anyway. If we don't save each other, we've got Jack. And his friends in the back are like drinking some energy drinks, I think. No, they're drinking booze. Okay, booze. That's just booze. Those are beer cans. They're wasted. I don't recognize the like vague color patterns of cans of English booze. Well, he even explicitly says on the next page, like, not the next page, but later on, he explains that, that they're too wasted to function, yes. Yeah, that's why Umar's driving. Yep. The camera's like, so how'd you hear about the Morgan? He's like, it's actually kind of weird. It's pretty weird. I do love this page, though. This is such a weird but excellent transition. It's a good page. The color palette goes very, like, spooky story. It's oranges and yellows and pinks and, or purples, I mean to say, sorry. Mm-hmm. And it's the three of them. It's presumably Linda and Trish and Umar just walking down the street. And suddenly there's a flurry of leaves that all fall off this tree and they swarm into the sky and they form a shape of a raven, which crashes down upon them and burned into the leaves are the words 21st of December Strand Station Midnight. Yep. And the three of them are just kind of like, what? This is like such a good page it's very much like horror storybook kind of it's such a departure from the rest of the little story that it's in yeah and this is also the reference that the pun is she was making with morgan you can't just bird invites into leaves yeah i love also the trees and they're standing next to a graveyard <laughs> yep because she would she would then we get to it was more than weird really it was fucking freaky what about you this is where Kim was like, I used to date her, which it takes a beat for everyone to start yelling at him. What? Yeah, it takes a second for them all to react. Yep. To which we start getting the puns. I was her paramour or maybe her paraless. And to which one of Dio's friends is like, oh, God, he puns. Morgan fucked a punner, a wet punner's in my car. And he asked, like, then why are you driving if it's her car? But yeah, she's upset that he puns. The next page is just all puns. It is. But apparently this is where we learn that there are two ways to function. Anyway, I should warn you that even killing me won't stop the punning. I'm pun dead. Motherfucker. Like, you see, after every pun, all three of them yell motherfucker. And it's great. He's so pleased. No, puns are terrible. Basically, like, he keeps punning. It's just endless. And eventually Umar's like, why do you do this? No. Why do you do this? The puns are so great, though. I'll stop when we get there. I'll be London. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> the 
but then Cameron basically goes from punning to emo at the drop of a hat, saying like, well, maybe I do it for attention. Maybe because I like people hating me. And it's just kind of like, all right, Jesus Christ, calm down, kid. <sighs> I mean, I understand that he's going through a tough time because presumably his parents died not too long ago and he cheated on his girlfriend who broke up with him and then became a god. A god who I think he knows is going to die. Oh, probably. But listen, it's it's rough times. The life and times of Cameron are, are difficult in this trying time. I understand that. Yeah. And so he basically explains, like, all of the options for why he's a goth boy and asks Umar, like, well, why are you, like, driving your wasted friends to this concert? Why are you picking up a random hitchhiker off the side of the road, abusing your fundamental human rights? Yep. It's the worst. I love it. Umar basically just says, like, I don't know, I like feeling useful. And I can get that. It's very utilitarian. He just wants to help people. He likes helping people. Which follows the type of god he becomes. Yeah, and he says people would do the same for me, in which Cameron's like, oh, buddy. Which, that's a lot of foreshadowing there. Yep. Yep. As they drive on to London. That is the end of that little story. And then we get, don't know how this is a Christmas present, because this is all heartbreaking. Everything to do with Tara is sad. Yep. And so it's October of 2013, so it's towards the beginning of the resurgence. So Tara is one of the first gods. And this shows that she did have some friends. So it sounds like she never really trusted them. But they would play a game like, what if you had a year left to live? And she talks about their answers. Like one had the very traditional bucket list of like, watch the sun crest the pyramids and go swimming with dolphins. And another one was like, I don't know. I can't even comprehend that. And she's like, I'd finish my album. That's what she would do with her year left to live. And they're like, and then what? And she's like, then I would finish the next album. So her focus has always been on, I want to do my music. I want to finish my music. If I had another second, I'd play another chord. I'd write another line. I'd try and dig up what's up here out there. So yeah, she's basically like, I have two years left. My gift is music. I'm going to make music and I'm going to make it my way. We see her like, I guess, having a wine with Ananki, this is a very Grecian setting. They're in this sort of similar high balcony area where we saw Ananki talking with the Morgan. This might be Ananki's personal balcony. Yep, maybe. Where she sits and hangs out with gods that she plans on killing later. Who knows? No, you gotta have a really nice place for that. Yeah, you know. They're having wine. Tara is playing. What did we say her real name was? Did we find out in the Amaterasu one? We did, and I've already forgotten it, which I feel awful about. Yeah, I think her real name is Aruna, but she's Tara right now. Yeah. Like I said, it's a very Grecian looking thing. The sun is either rising or setting. It's causing this like very golden soft light to fall on the two of these people as they're sitting, sipping wine on a balcony as Tara softly strums on a guitar. It's a very peaceful scene. It is. And like I said, they kind of look... Like, I mean, Ananki's always dressed in, like, long dresses and sashes and everything, but Taro looks very togad at the moment, in my opinion. I mean, to me, it looks a little bit more Indian or Middle Eastern, but... Could be. Yeah. It's a similar, like, very loose, flowy... It brings to mind, like, an ancient feel to it. Yeah. This looks like this could be something out of, like, a Renaissance setting, almost. Mm-hmm. And they're discussing, basically, Tara's music. Tara wants to play. She wants to play her music. 
And she wants to get Anki's advice about it. She's trying to make this album and she's trying to appeal to the voice of experience because Anki is the most experienced person she knows. So let's ask her if it's any good. Yeah. And presumably Anki is filling almost a mother void for her at the moment. Right. Because Anki has been trying to be the matron for everyone. She's been trying to be the mother for everyone. Yeah. And Tara is basically like, do you like it? Is it any good? And Anki lays down sort of what a lot of people question. You have the tongue of the gods, she says. You can speak the tongue of the gods. You can perform these amazing, rapturous, magical performances that transcend mere mortal music. Why would you not choose to use that? Mm -hmm. And she doesn't understand it, but she's like, I don't get it, but okay, it's your thing. Sure, do what you want. And Tara's like, but do you think that the people will like it? Like the people I'm playing for, are they going to like it? And this is her big thing, is because music clearly is very close to Tara, as you said from the page before. Yeah. If she had only a year left, she would make her album. That's the entire purpose that she has for herself. This is clearly very personal for her. And because we know previously that Tara has been very, like, she doesn't really believe in getting things from the merits of her looks. She doesn't like the fact that people give her things for the merit of her looks. She also probably feels like the god tongue is cheating. It's not her. Yeah, it's not her. Her music is very personal, and this is the one thing she deeply cares about, and she wants people to like it so bad. Mm -hmm. I think also something that a lot of people are overlooking is it's even stated that the gods, they don't record when they use their powers. It overloads things. That means Tara's going to be the only one with an actual album. She's the only one who's going to have music after this is gone. Yeah. What frustrates me is, presuming the world doesn't end at the end of this comic, <laughs> Tara is going to be someone who becomes really popular after she's dead. Yeah. She's going to be like a Van Gogh or like any of those painters or any musician or any artist at all who becomes incredibly popular like decades or even centuries after they're dead. Become mythic afterwards, like a Janis Joplin or a Jimi Hendrix or Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Where they get, like, almost mythical status about how good they were. Right. In the instance, like, with certain people, they lived in poverty while they were alive. Their art didn't support them at all while they were alive. And it's only after they're dead that it became worth something to people. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be the situation with Tara. And that's really sad. Mm-hmm. But Anunki basically says exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be some people who are mad because they're going to these concerts expecting you to do your God thing. If you don't do it, they're going to be mad. Yep. But then she says, that does not matter. There is a single question. Is it worth it to you? So Ananki is basically telling her, like, you need to not care what these other people are thinking and decide if it's worth it to you. Like, this is your life. You must be brave. They will not approve. So what? You can live with that. So she is encouraging her to, like, go, do it. This is what you want. You can live with it. Do it. And I think she knows, like, she's been through enough gods to know this backlash is going to be the worst thing. Like, yeah, humanity's awful, and they have more access to the gods now than they ever did before. And Tara walks away saying, thank you. Thank you so much. And you see Anaki take her mask off after she had just put Tara's mask on. It's like, sometimes, old girl, you are cruel. So she knows what she just set Tara up for. Yeah. And I think that was deliberate, was her encouraging Tara knowing, like, in a way, it's you want to be encouraging. You want to encourage people to follow their dreams. Yeah. But 
she's encouraging Tara knowing that it's not going to work out and knowing that Tara is going to be destroyed by that. Yep. I think she also knows like this is going to make Tara super vulnerable, even more so than she already is. And she probably, at least in this moment, probably does feel bad about that. Like she does it anyway, but she might have regret. Yeah. I think she prefers just the straight up killing. Like, I hate the fact that it gets so messy if I just start murdering them immediately. Yeah. Can't I not get the emotionals into it? Like, please. These feelings are messy. And then we move forward in time from going back in time. We're flashing forward to January of 2014. Our story's begun. Yep. This is, I think, like the only tale that's actually happening in the timeline of like the actual Wicked Divine. Mm -hmm. Like we're in the story now. We have Laura leaving Lucifer in her cage in the police station. Yep. And Lucifer is just kind of like, I believe in you. I think you'll sort this out. Yep. But she can't just let Laura go. She can't. She can't. She's got to be a little flirty about it. And she says one more thing. Would you kiss me if this glass wasn't here? And I think this is Lucifer, like, A, Lucifer's just flirty with everyone. I feel like she's been kind of winding up Laura this entire time a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, ever since she met her at the concert, this has kind of been what Lucifer's been building with, has been winding Laura up to this flirtation. Well, something about Laura has definitely attracted Lucifer even before Lucifer was in jail. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what exactly it was that brought them together, because maybe it was just, like, a pure looks thing, but I feel like there must have been some other level to it, maybe. Are all underworld gods at some level attracted to Persephone? Maybe. That would be really funny. Yep. Is if, like, she's, like, a Hades stand-in, that she just finds Persephone really hot. Yeah. That would be so funny. <laughs> I mean, Cameron did, too. Like, they slept together. There was that attractive. It's just Cameron already had love for the Morgan. You're not wrong. That would be really funny if it was true. Yep. When we go to Emerald City, we meet Kieran and Jamie because they're going to be there. Yeah, we did mention that at the top. So this is coming out probably a few weeks after it was announced. But Kieran and Jamie are going to be at Emerald City 2019, which means I'm dragging around three very heavy hardback books and possibly some not so heavy single issues. Yeah, that's about right. We can go and be like, so I have questions. <laughs> yeah. So listen. <laughs> so listen. Questions. Here's one of them. Are all underworld gods attracted to Laura? Is that just a thing? Yeah. But of course, Lucifer asks this question, being cheeky, and Laura is smooth. She says, nuh-uh. Yep. And she's walking away, and Lucifer looks kind of like, damn. Like, like aw. Yeah. Ruined my fun. I shouldn't have made that line. And to which Laura turns back and says, I wouldn't just kiss you. Gotta get the last word. Yep, and Laura's walking away looking very pleased with herself. She has that smirk. Yeah. And Lucifer knows I got her. Yeah, she's on the hook. Yep. It's, uh, like, Lucifer would have been awful for Laura. Lucifer was awful for Laura. Lucifer's awful, period. Yeah, I still would have liked to see them, like, not in jail a little bit more. Yeah. But we're flashing back once more to August of 2013. Yep. And we have Eleanor, pre-Luce for Eleanor, and we have Hazel, pre-Amaterasu Hazel, playing some video games. Yep. Oh, it's cute. Babies. What game are they playing that needs bricks is my question. Well, it's too early for Fortnite. Yes. Minecraft? Was Minecraft on Xbox back in 2013? I don't know. Minecraft is on everything. It's hard to say because that was five years ago from the time of this recording. So yeah, my 
perception of timing is skewed. Yeah. But they're playing video games. They got their headsets on. They're friends. We don't know where they met, but they're friends. And they're playing video games together via the magic of the internet. I'd love to know how they're friends, because they have a big wealth disparity there. Well, that's another thing that I was asking, is I literally just asked, like, we don't know how they know each other. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they're, like, met online, like, on the forums or whatever, in the fan communities. Who knows? Probably that. But we have Hazel asking, like, how is Ragnarok? She didn't get to go. Eleanor got to go. Which means Eleanor was at Ragnarok. That's another god. Eleanor was at Ragnarok. Yep. Lucifer was at Ragnarok. Persephone was at Ragnarok. Mirmir was at Ragnarok. Anana was at Ragnarok. Woden was at Ragnarok. Everyone was there. Dio, I think, was at Ragnarok, wasn't he? I don't know for sure. Possibly. I freaking everyone was there, which is why I think that Anaki picked people who were close by. Just grabbed them. Like, you. And uh, you, sure. You look like you have a lot of issues. You look like you have a lot of issues. You look like you have a lot of issues. You look like you'd be easy to manipulate. You look like you'd be easy to manipulate. (laughs) And Eleanor says that it was stupid. Kids with anxiety disorders, old academics with anxiety disorders, 20-somethings with anxiety disorders. Just apparently it was like a look under your chair, everyone gets an anxiety disorder kind of situation. And she was annoyed with it. And Hazel calls her out being like, that's kind of mean. Yep. And apparently Eleanor, there's not really like a change in personality before or after. She doesn't consider herself the same as the rest of the members of the Pantheon or the Fantheon, I mean to say. Yeah. The idea that I would have anything in common with any of them. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Like, she's like, I'm a fan, but I hate this fandom. Yeah. Well, she hates the other members of it, at least. Yep. And then Amatrox was like, oh, hey, I did some new fan art. I'm sending it over. And we get the 1830s version of, I think that was Lucifer, right? Yeah, I think that was Lucifer. You're right. So that means I'm pretty sure that she's always had a connection to Lucifer. And she's like, that looks awesome. Yep. And to which Zul's like, you know, if the gods are real, they're going to be here soon. It's going to change everything. If I were God, I'd have to be Amaterasu. If I was someone else, I'd be so angry. So, in a way, she gotta pick her God. Weeb. Weeb. And then she asks Eleanor, what about you? And Eleanor responds with, I don't want to be a God. I want to be the furthest thing away from that. Which Eleanor also gets. Eleanor also gets that. Yep, you get your wish. Yep, because she's a fallen angel. The farthest thing from God. Every time I read things like that, it further cements home the question of choice versus predetermination here. Are these characters drawn to these gods because that is who they were destined to become? Mm-hmm. Or are they these gods later because these are the people they would have chosen? Yeah. Does Hazel become Amaterasu because she was obsessed with Amaterasu? Or was she always going to be that? Who knows? And that's why she's obsessed with it. Chicken or the egg. Chicken or the egg, basically. <sighs> It's frustrating. We then fast forward to two months later. Hmm. And we have Lucifer just like eating it up. She's the center of attention. She's talking to a bunch of, it looks like reporters. I don't know. They're all interviewing her. Yeah. She's talking about all of her like debaucherous exploits, her being clever and quippy and sinful. And Hazel shows up. Mm-hmm. Honestly looking pretty adorable in this moment. Yeah, she does. And Lucifer is at first, like, seems happy to see her. She's smiling. She's like, oh, I thought you couldn't make it. She seems, like, excited to see her friend. 
And I love this line of Hazel saying, I whined until mummy brought me. I am the best at whining. <laughs> Which is probably true. Probably true. But then she reveals, like, I drew you some art. And she draws this picture of Lucifer. Being as derpy as possible. The derpiest possible picture. It's honestly great. Yep. Because, I mean, Lucy knows how good she can make people look. And she chose to make Lucy look super derpy. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of those things where, like, sort of ribbing at your friends, you do something, like, horrible just to be funny. And they hopefully also find it funny. I also love that she's wearing, like, gloves. Mm-hmm. And a beret. Yeah. This is probably something that Eleanor would have found funny. Eleanor probably would have been self-deprecating enough to find this funny. But Lucy... mm But Lucifer has got all these people... That she needs to look cool in front of. Yeah. And, like, you see that, and you see, like, Lucifer's view of them and they have these huge ears now as they're looking over like shit there's all these people watching she's obviously very in tune with that yeah yeah and she's like why how delightful you better go and like pushing hazel out trying to maintain her cool trying to maintain her image to which one of the interviewers is like so who is she and nobody thankfully imagine how awful it'd be if she was someone now where was i i can't quite remember i can only remember the gist I'm a terrible person, fuck you, as she lights her cigarette with a snap. Which, that is the most Lucifer thing. Yeah. Like, those two panels right there are the most Lucifer thing. And they're also done in a style which feels a lot more like... I've seen animes with gangsters done in this style. Yeah, the sort of semi-weird realism. Yeah, it feels very anime gangster, especially compared to the rest of this. And going forward, like, here's a weird thing. The way that she emphasizes this, she says, imagine how awful it would be if she was someone. Yeah. There's two possible meanings for that. And there's the selfish meaning, the loose for being like, oh, God, imagine how awful it would be if Hazel became a god. Like, all of the nerdiness that is Hazel as a god. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the possibly selfless interpretation of imagine how awful it would be. Lucifer, for one thing is at least self-aware. Yeah. Because she then says, I'm a terrible person. Like, she's aware that she's not a good person. Yeah. I think it does have a double meaning in there. But she's aware that she is a bad person. It's possible that becoming Lucifer kind of made it worse, or at least gave her an excuse. Oh, it 100% gave her an excuse. Right. I think if she hadn't taken that excuse, I don't think she would have been a worse person. I think she would have been just still a shitty teenager. Yeah. But she took that as the excuse that it was, and she took the power and everybody fawning over her, and it just exasperated the problem. Which then raises the question, there's this selfless examination of that line, the selfless interpretation, where she's saying, sort of like, well, being a god changed me for the worse. Imagine how awful it would be for Hazel, who is a good person, to become a god. In a way, like, you could interpret it as that level of foreshadowing that we, going into a later, know that becoming a god did kind of ruin Hazel. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So, like, imagine how awful it would be if she was a god. (laughs) I love this next scene, though. Yeah, we cut to Lucifer performing. Mm -hmm. It's all eyes on her. She's in the middle of the stage, bent backwards, shouting up to the heavens. Everybody's reaching their hands out. It's just a sea of hands reaching towards her. 
And a fairly trippy panel of just smoke coming out of her mouth as sweat beads down her face. It's like very surreal almost. Yep. I love it. And then we're on the 21st of December. I believe this is the same day that Cameron is getting a ride to London. Yeah. For the Morrigan show. This was actually a scene that was role played by Kieran Gillen and a reporter for an issue that we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, yeah, the magazine issue. Yeah, because that was later reprinted, I think, in the back of the paperback volume five. Mm -hmm. It's a cool thing to read if you want to go read it. So on that day, Lucifer's with the journalist and they're out on the patio and then we hear Lucy look and Lucifer looks up and we see Hazel. Hazel as Amaterasu. Descending from the heavens. She says, not Hazel Amaterasu. I'm a god too. We get to do this together. Which I could use a flower crown instead of the gems. If you wanted to. Honestly, this is such a look. Like, God, it's such a good look. Yeah. Like big, giant, poofy red hair, giant, fluffy, white, semi-sheer dress. Like, God, this is a look. It's so good. A lot of intricate lace everywhere. I just want art of just Amaterasu descending from the heavens in this outfit, like in that pose. It's gorgeous. (laughs) And we see Lucy looking up saying, I'm sorry. And that's the end of that storyline. And we get a few photos uh, down there on the ground, and one of which is Amaterasu laying on Lucifer and Lucifer making that dirt face. I think these might be more fan art. I don't know if these are photos. I think this is more art. Aw. But here's another question of what does that I'm sorry mean? Is it like, I'm sorry I was a dick to you and now you're a god and you're on my level again. Can't be a dick to you anymore. Or is it I'm sorry that you're a god now when, all right, cool, you're going to die too. I think it's I'm sorry you're going to die. If you read the script, it also reads as I'm sorry you're going to die to me. Yeah. And especially because her face looks very crestfallen. Yeah. Like, oh, no. It's sad. Mm hmm. But we're jumping forward again once more to May 2014. So this is during when we know them. Yes, this is right after we meet Dionysus for the first time. There's that big old rave where they party for three solid days. Yep. And it's when Ball took Laura back to his place in Valhalla and they banged. Sure did. And here's them banging just straight up. Mm-hmm. And it's very well done illustration of them banging. It's very like pinks and purples and glowing lighting and it's like it's setting that sort of sensuous mood if you will yeah the anatomy is also spot on i would hope so i don't know listen luckily doesn't drag on too long we've just caught them at the tail end of it yeah where ball says not a question just says you liked it (laughs) and laura's trying to play it cool play it cool play it cool yep and she doesn't end up playing it cool. She's like, uh-huh. Like, really dopey, happy smile, which is adorable. I find it so funny because this is like in Stark's just position where when she's like walking me from Lucifer and she's just kind of like, nuh-uh, playing it cool. Also, I like how like she says like, fuck afterwards. But also like, Laura has always been a presence. Like, Ball let her be on top and hold his wrist down. He... Like, seems like the type of guy that wouldn't be into that, like, letting someone else have the power. She takes the power in there and he goes with it, which is interesting. I think what you're actually saying is that for all of his bluster, Ball is a bottom. Oh, Ball's completely a sub. Yes. 
Especially with the following conversation. <laughs> yeah. He's a sub that doesn't want to be a sub. Are you okay? I was... You were great, but can we not tell Anana? I think he'll think I did it to get at him. You can sort of see it on Laura's face like, oh my god, the more that ball talks. It wouldn't get to him. Like, Laura's like, you know Anana, and Anana doesn't care that you're banging people. Like, and Anana doesn't care what I do with my body. Right. Okay, I need to read this, like, word for word. Do it. But I wouldn't want him to think I didn't know him well enough to think that fucking his friends would get to him. That is yep. the most... Yep, that's why I'm saying that even if he's not physically a sub, emotionally. <laughs> yeah, I don't want him to think that I think that this thing, that I know this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I mean, maybe he'll think I did it to get back at him. He wouldn't do that. But yeah, but maybe he thinks I think that it would work. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, ball. Yeah, it basically boils down to, I don't want him to think I'm stupid. You dated the boy for a month, ball. <laughs> And you have a tattoo of his symbol on your hip. Oh, ball. And you can just see them facing each other, lying kind of awkwardly. And Laura's like, this is going to be complicated. We get the visual expression of a sigh. Yeah. And that ends the Christmas special. That ends the Christmas special. This little gift, which was largely flirting and banging and puns. So the first story was called Sumer loving, as in yep, Sumerian gods. Sumerian, yep, exactly. Yes. If you're feline sinister, which is Lucifer and Sakmet banging, yes. Hitched, hitchhiking. Decomposition, which was the tarot one, I think, which was yeah, sad. Stolen moment. Toxic community. I mean, fair. Yeah, and then ah uh, ha ha. <laughs> Uh, which, of course, Kieran named the majority of these after some kind of pun. I feel like that's like he's contractually obligated at this point. He definitely writes at least one character into every story that has a personality there just to deliver puns. Not just, but their personality trait needs to be someone that would pun. Cameron also was the shoehorned reference in here. Earlier in the comic, he references Young Avengers. Yeah. Kieran Gillen is just like both punny and meta. Mm-hmm. Like he can't not. Apparently. Yeah. And we know like that there's a fool in die. Like that's gonna be the pun entrance there. Yeah. And he's a writer. It's a fool who's a writer. Again, puns in meta. But that was the Christmas special. A little look into the special little moments that we did not get to see from the main story, either because they happened before the story started or because, you know, there were other things that were happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the deaths. Ah, uh, it was so good. Merry Christmas, have some dicks. Merry Christmas, have some dicks. And this is coming out on Boxing Day, right? Yes. I might have already recommended this, but I do recommend it especially as a gift for friends that you want to get into comics or get them used to reading a graphic novel medium. And that is Relish by Lucy Ninsley. Is this the food one? Is this the one where they're cooking as a currency and she's banished or whatever? No, no, no. No, this is something else. This is more of an autobiography. Okay. She's the daughter of a chef, and her mom also goes off and runs, like, a catering business and, like, grows her own food in upstate New York. So she has a really interesting relationship with food and particularly high-end food. So she talks about that and how it's affected her life and how it plays into her life. And it's a really well-done book. It's a beautiful book. And it has some recipes in there. And everyone loves food. Pretty much everyone's a foodie. 
And it's really easily relatable. And I do recommend it, especially like if you want your mom to start reading comics, this is a really good in because it's really low impact. It has a good storyline to it while not being too stressful. Can you tell that Kate sells comics for a living? It also got my mom to start reading some comics. So that's sweet. That's cute. Well, thank you for the recommendation, Kate. Next week, we will be back to Wiccan Divine, the previous issues. Yep. I can't remember which one we'll be back to, but you know what? We'll go back into the story wherever we left off. Yeah, we'll know by then. We'll know by then. Oh, we're going into Laura's coming out as Persephone. She's coming back. Coming out of my carriage and I've been doing just fine. I'm excited about it. God, I gotta be. Oh, shit, there's a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> we will do that next week. In the meantime, oh, I almost forgot. Eric sent me a thing that we had to talk about. about oh, the yeah. last. Eric texted us. He texted you also? Yes, he said he mentioned the same thing to you. Ah, yes. But I agreed with him. <laughs> On the 40th issue, near the end, we have Minerva talking to some sort of like glowing fish eye. Yeah. She's telling it to go out and like suck up all that sweet psychic energy so that she can make a mimetic plague. And she mentions sort of offhandedly like you're my monster now or you're my creature now. And Eric sent a small essay yeah, it's basically like a thesis statement. He sent a small thesis statement. Like the PhD student he is. Basically saying that he believes that Minerva is talking to the creature from the 1831 special. Or the zeitgeist from the 1920s. And this is another thing. In all of the previous pantheons, or some of them at least, we see that they create something mm -hmm. that lasts longer than them. And maybe it's the same thing. Who knows? But it does seem that they create these longer lasting effects on the world even after all the gods are dead and it also as far as we can tell it only comes from pantheons that are not the forgotten pantheons yes or at least that's honestly i'm throwing that out as my theory in there where the zeitgeist only happens when the gods do manage to successfully create this thing before they're exterminated and then he says i'm just going to quote this on the topic of absorbing energies that creature was able to absorb a few of the 1831 gods' essences also in the 1831 issue, it's alluded that Anunnaki was the puppeteer that wanted Lucifer to try necromancy and thus create the creature. Mm. The word creature and monster are both used to describe the thing that they create in the 1800s special. And specifically, Woden in that special calls out the creature, you are alive, you will go on long after we are gone, telling this to the creature. So it's very possible that whatever that creature was, because it did just walk off. At the end of that special. Yeah. Maybe it's been around this whole time and maybe Anaki is using it now. It could also be that Anaki captured whatever essence was in the creature into something she had Woden or Mirmir make without them knowing what they were making. Very possible. I think the creatures, from what we have seen, represent the idea of what an artist leaves after they die. Mm -hmm. That impact that goes on and how it is in a way active and still affects the world. Right. And I think Ananki has seen it enough where now she's like, I could use this. I could bastardize it again. Very possible. So yeah, I agree with Eric. Uh, that was one of my first thoughts. I just didn't talk about it because I got excited. If you have thoughts on this theory or if you have your own theories about anything from the stories that we've talked about so far with Wiccan Divine or die, because we're talking about die now. Die. <laughs> die. If you have anything that you would like to shout out to us, or if there's something you think we may have missed, you can reach out to us via our email and our Twitter. Mm -hmm. 
Our email is once more with feelings podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to tweet at us about maybe some awesome dice sets that would go with our Wictive feelings, uh, you can tweet us at feelingscast. And then we will see you next week. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, Christina. Yep. Bye, Kate.